Hello, welcome to another episode of the Brain Food Show. This one, a couple of things. We were we we've been struggling with our live streaming lately, right? And we're dead keen to get this set up. The first one we did, I think, was the one before last. Because no, or the last one was it the, the last one? It was the cake one. Whatever that the was. Jump, women jumping out of cakes, which is, should be going up soon. Which was really. Uh, I like that one. That was probably my new uh, favorite episode next to the Sledgehammer one. It was. However, listening back to that, I'm very glad we didn't live stream it. Not because I feel we said anything super but, bad or made any like <laughs> slip ups that would get us into trouble or anything like that, which, you know, whenever I hear people screwing up a live stream, it's like, oh, PewDiePie said the N word <laughs> or something like this. Yeah. But in a way, I thought we would definitely take some flack for. So we told this story, which I'm not going to repeat here, but it was basically this horrible, horrific war story. Uh, and then it's it was. just us laughing uncomfortably at it. But I'm not sure if it's well, easy to tell. Go on. I, I thought when you said, I have something orders in, of magnitude worse, I apparently just don't have a good enough imagination for horrific things because I was like, no way. And then you said the story and I was just like, yeah. Yeah. And then when I listened to it back, I was like, no, that's just way too depressing. We got to cut that out. So I stitched in a, we cut something out here. This is why there are references to this elsewhere. It's just, it's just it's wrong. Too, it's just too, too much horrific. of a show. And then that uncomfortable laughter, I felt could be interpreted yeah. as us being like, ha ha ha, crime. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, horrific and awful and yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I thought I'd follow up on that just because it, it felt like a major, a major change I think done in previous part ones. of it too is, it, is something that didn't happen that not that long ago, really, you know, like 14 years ago or something, where it's like when you're yes. talking about something that happened in like the 1600s or something, I don't know, it just, you can make jokes or you can do, it, it's, it just doesn't seem as bad. Mm. But then when you're talking about something that happened 14 years ago, it's like, mm, yeah, I don't know, it's something about it just makes it worse. Yeah, and it is up there with the the war crimes of war crimes, you know, pretty, yeah. pretty horrific. Um, yeah. Another thing I know we normally do our follow up later. I just wanted to address that at the start. Another thing I want to address at the start is if I sound funny. Uh, I went to the dentist a couple of days ago. I'm having my, I, when I was a kid, I couldn't have any dental work done like brace work because I had these two milk teeth that never turned into adult teeth and they didn't want to put braces on me because um, they were worried that these milk teeth would fall out. It's, they said, wait 10 years. I waited 10 years. And now they're like, well, we could probably do some brace work on you um, because they've got nice roots. And I'm like, great, do that. So I'm getting used to having, uh, what do you call it? It's not a retainer because I haven't had the work done yet. But like, it's this, uh, it's called Invisalign. I don't know if you know this. It seems like it's an international thing where they... Yeah. So yeah, uh, I have to wear like 50 different uh -huh. retainers over the next two years as yeah. they sort my teeth. No, totally. Out. That's... I did that with the uh, uh, Smile Direct, which does sponsor some channels. And I was thinking we should really have to reach out to them at some point because it can be like, here you go. Uh, but it's basically the exact same thing as Invisalign, except you don't have to go to the dentist. Yeah, basically. I, I did, it's the same. I did look at that. They didn't thing. serve Europe. So because uh, um, I know you're done yeah. Smile Direct and I looked at it. It's also yeah. much cheaper, much, much cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like I knew orthodontia was expensive. But good yeah. Lord, I'm, I, I'd also avoided, I could have done it a few years ago, but I'm finally in the position of like, oh, I can actually afford on orthodontia work yeah. without it being unbelievably painful. Now it's just painful. 
Yeah, see, that's what me with the uh, smile direct was like. I never cared enough to actually go to the dentist to do anything. But then when I found when I saw like the thing, it was like, oh, wait, I don't have to go anywhere. And I can just like I can just do it from home. Well, sold. (laughs) It's like enabling my shut in lifestyle. (laughs) Uh, So that's why I sound funny today. If I've got a little bit of a lisp going on or a little bit of sounds, I apologize. It took me a good, I don't know, a couple of days to figure out how to talk properly with the full thing and figure out how to talk properly with the full invisible thing. And, and then it was fine. But like it did take a couple of days where I was like, you know, horribly lispy. Yeah, I'm, I'm three days in. It was a bit of a disaster at the beginning. And I was yeah. like, I'm going to have to take this out for sure. And now I'm kind yeah. of getting a bit used to it. I take it out for the yeah. videos because I feel I feel with this, I can make an excuse and explain it. But yeah. I'm not going to explain why I'm sounding funny at the beginning of every video. And then people are going to go nuts in the comments about whether I've got a brain tumor or something. Yeah. What's amazing is how quickly your brain just figured, like, so when I would put the the thing in, instantly switch the way, you know, you use your tongue or whatever to talk and then you take it out and it's different. And there's literally like, you know, like a couple minute gap is all where your, your brain just like flips a switch and then is using your tongue in a different way to talk and you don't even have to think about it at a certain point. It really is quite something. Like I can feel yeah. how my tongue is taking a position further back in my mouth when I think about it. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Are we talking about tongues in today's episode, or is that the next? We episode? are. Oh, oh wait. Uh, it could be. Yeah, I think it might be the next episode because we're we're taping but, two in a row today um, because we're behind yeah. schedule. <laughs> yeah, they have to be done, and I'm going to be gone this weekend, and that'll be that. So, but dear yeah. dear dear listeners, you won't ever be able to enjoy two in a row. We're gonna. We can release them on. Well, actually, yeah. Actually, you probably will. We'll yeah. probably release them all like four, like back to back to back to back, um, quite quickly. Yep, it is the because I, it is the twenty fifth of January today. We need to get a move on. <laughs> yeah, so they're going to be like an episode a day for a little bit. That'll be make some people happy at least. It probably won't make our sponsors super happy. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it'll look really good. All of a sudden, they'll get a surge. You know, like that's true. That's true. Anyway, I, I'm sorry for doing all the uh, the feedback up front today. I just. I felt we needed to do those two things, but yeah, right. are we, so, let's do the normal structure now. Tell me, yeah, tell me a quick fact. What's going on? So this this entire next two episodes is going to be like quick facts, but we'll start with a, a quick fact that's even related to the rest. Uh, so, uh, well, I should we should we actually talk about what we're talking about today first? Oh yeah, we're going to do what this is like, this episode actually about? <laughs> this is going to be about just like amazing animals and insects and just like. There's so many amazing things, especially ants. Ants, we could just do a whole series on ants. It's amazing, but I've bulleted some of the most fascinating stuff, I thought. Uh, but so, yeah, that's just going to be it. like amazing animals, like stuff they do that is crazy. And and uh, I just want to say, like, whenever I see uh, an article online and it says amazing animal facts, uh, I, yeah. I think this is just going to be the same ones I've heard a million times over. And they all kind of suck. It's, you know, yeah. why does a giraffe have a long neck? It's, I'm not three. <laughs> I'm an adult. Like yeah. this doesn't entertain me, no. dude. Reading through the notes today, some of these yeah. are crazy. They are so crazy, and also, uh, yeah, there is so much information too. This will be a interesting one to um, go through twenty pages of notes this way with so information dense. Hey, hey, so we should get started. Let's crack on with the quick facts. So caterpillars, right? You think about like caterpillars when they get in their little chrysalis, and then I don't know. The way I always thought of it was just they sort of like, well. I didn't really think about it out the way. I thought it was just like the stuff grows on their body or whatever. And then they, yeah, you know, they, they got wings grow and stuff. some wings. 
yeah, like that's how it works. And no, it doesn't work like that at all. What actually happens is they get in there and they're little, they're in their little chrysalis, you know, yeah, all nice and cozy. And then they they start to release these enzymes that literally digest their own body, and they like turn in. They basically like melt into this goo that, and, and literally, it's just like their entire body has just been digested. Like it's they've made they've sort of in the chrysalis made the little stomach type thing, release enzymes, and it's like they digest themselves, and then they're just this goop, and then. What happens there, basically their entire body is goo, except for there's certain special cells, which I'll get into a little bit more uh, in a minute. But uh, so these cells just, they're going to be what forms the butter, the butterfly body parts yeah. soon enough. But so um, what's fascinating about this, so there's this goo and they got these special cells. But what's interesting is so when they become a butterfly, their brain is actually quite a bit more complex and bigger than when they were a caterpillar. But it turns out if you teach the caterpillar something, and then, which some researchers at Georgetown University did, uh, they taught some moths uh, to basically avoid some, or some caterpillars to avoid some stuff, and then the moth would, uh, it turns out, they found, would retain this memory to avoid uh, what, they, what they taught to you know, certain smells, basically. Even though it's to, a completely to avoid. different brain? Yeah, it's got, so somehow... Some of these sort of like uh, storing, memory storing neurons have to survive this digestive process. And not only that, but get incorporated into the new butterfly brain, which is, you know, a lot more complex and larger than the caterpillar's brain was in the first place. So how this happened is, is, is like a complete mystery uh, because it turns so because they just turn into this goo. They're just like this little little goo thing, uh, except for these, uh, I guess, what would you pronounce this? Maybe imaginal discs? Yeah, I, I, yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, just run with that. So they're, they're basically, they're very similar to embryonic cells. And so these things end up turning into the different parts of the butterfly or moth's body. And so like some of them, they'll have like four of them that are these imaginal discs that will then eventually develop into wings. Yeah. Um, and it turns out if you get rid of one of them, which researchers have done just to see what would happen if they got rid of one of them, <laughs> the, the other three will just sort of compensate and then the, the wings will still be fully so they can still fly and everything. Uh, they sort of like grows and develops as if they had four, you know, but it just like the one wing will be bigger to compensate and stuff like that. Um, and these discs, these little disc things are around the caterpillar's whole life. It's just they stop when they're caterpillar, they stop developing. And then uh, once they, you know, turn into goo, that's when, and this is the, this is the other crazy part. This goo is used by these imaginal discs as the food source or basically energy source and the oh. nutrient source to make they the butterflies. Themselves. <laughs> exactly. That's weird. This is crazy. They're like digest themselves and then part of their former selves uses that to, you know, eats itself and then makes a butterfly uh, or moth or whatever. The memory um, thing's crazy though. How, yeah. Because if these discs have been around and they are, they're there, in the, they're there in the caterpillar and then it turns into a butterfly, but they've been there since the beginning. So the discs, they're the only thing that remain. They somehow have this memory. Well, Do they that, know this? Yeah, that's the thing is they it's thought that that's all that's remaining, but somehow some of these neurons from the brain must still be around in some way. Yeah, if the one if the one thing they tested does stick around. Yeah, it incorporated into the larger brain somehow and in a way that they can still remember, you know, to avoid these I mean, not like you know, however they remember things, just a, a version or whatever to a thing. It's just kind of crazy. And then so once so now you got all these little discs have developed into their organs, their wings, their, you know, whatever. It's all now they're a full butterfly or moth or whatever. And so now to get out, they then have this like special liquid they they use to soften the chrysalis and it allows them to use their little claws to claw their way out, basically. Yeah. And then yeah, then they just sort of uh, everything 
their wings you know they have the little drying process and all that hardening and uh yeah and then they you have a nice butterfly or moth but i just thought it's crazy that they're basically melting they're di- they're digesting themselves and then their little cells are eating themselves to you yeah, know dude, make the butterfly it, it's pretty much straight out of a horror movie yeah like crazy yeah no doubt that was you know that was that was the the, the quick fact for today <laughs> Caterpillars dissolve themselves to make themselves into butterflies, but somehow they still remember things despite having a completely different brain. Yeah. 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 Mind blowing. Amazing. <laughs> Literally. Just before we crack on with the rest of today's episode, I do want to particularly thank Wix for being the sponsor of this show. Now, Wix allows you to create a website for your own personal brand, your business. Maybe you're getting married and you want a website for that. You can do that as well. Whatever you, whatever else you might be thinking of, Wix can deliver you a website. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you've heard me talk about Wix before. You know that we used it to build our website for this show, which is called brainfood.fm or more that's the URL you can go to and you can see it. And that's the best thing to do. Even if you're on a mobile phone right now, why not just whip out your phone? Head on over to brainfood.fm and see what I'm talking about. It's all mobile friendly, which I didn't even know when I was building the website. I built it all on my on my desktop computer. And then I thought maybe I'd have to change something to make it mobile compatible. But no, Wix is that advanced. It does it all automatically. I even used, they have a bunch of templates. They managed to match the colors, the uh, the white, the red, and the black of this show, which you can see in our logo and stuff like that. And they applied it to this template. So everything looks like it's very customized, but it's actually just very click and drag and everything's super easy to set up. Uh, what we did, because we have a website for a podcast, is we added this thing called the podcast tool, which is in Wix's arsenal of advanced features. I uh, I clicked on that. I added it. I pasted in a URL to our podcast. And all of a sudden, I've got a podcast feed on the homepage listing all of our recent episodes. That updates automatically. We just upload it to our podcast hosting and our Wix website automatically grabs it and puts it out to people. So you can just go there and see and listen to all of the new episodes. But maybe you're not a podcaster. You're probably not a podcaster. I mean, maybe you are, but you're probably not. But maybe you're a photographer and you need a beautiful gallery to show off your work. Maybe you run some sort of store or you got something to sell and you want an online shop. Well, you can do that with Wix. Or like I said, maybe you're just getting married and you want to share some information about venues and dress codes and wedding stuff. You can do that as well with Wix. It's all easy to do. Like I say, it looks great on a mobile or a desktop, whatever you want. Like I said, just just go check out our website, brainfood.fm. You'll see that I made this. It's super professional. Didn't take long at all. It's all very easy. And you can even get unlimited pages and top grade hosting for free with Wix. You don't have to pay for anything. But you can upgrade to one of their premium plans, which is what we did. And you get a whole bunch more. And that just starts at $5 a month. So what you need to do is go to wix.com forward slash go forward slash brain food and get started again. That's wix.com forward slash go forward slash brain food to get started. That supports the show, all of that good stuff. Uh, let's get back to the episode. All right. Uh, what's the, I'll make, You say bonus facts today. So just a bunch of animal, amazing animal facts. As we... Amazing and insect and all that. So, uh, are ins- insects are animals, right? Is that a dumb question? I was just going to say, is like, no, I mean, that, that's what I was just thinking. Like, is an insect considered an animal? I feel like there's usually that distinction's made, but like, is there a distinction? Like, in common speak, you would say like an animal or an insect. Uh, but there, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't. 
It's, not, it's got to be an animal, right? Animal. Because we're animals. Animal. Definition. A living organism that feeds on organic matter. So Okay, there you go. Yeah. Insects count. Yeah. No question there. <laughs> That's one of those things is like sometimes I'll be working on an article or whatever and then I just like, do I even know what this word actually means? And I've, I'm constantly like Googling definitions of words all the time just well, to make sure I'm using it correctly. Did we talk about this on the podcast or did we talk about this privately where you had that I, word? Yeah, that... we talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, that I can't remember. And <laughs> Now your yeah, whole uh, life has been thrown into doubt. It's true. Uh, and I, I, I really do that all the time. I'm constantly Googling words that are like basic words like animal. And like, do I really? Is this like precise? You know, yeah. I just, you know, because what we do, we have to be really precise. And that's... Uh, they're going to start thing, so. advertising English courses to you, you know, learn English <laughs> as a second language because you've been looking up the definition of animal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do it all the time. It's, it's, I'm very grateful for Google in that like automatic where it shows up the definition of things or like how to spell things is to another one I use all the time. Also good. Um, okay, so let's crack on. Tell me, tell me, what, what are we starting with? So we're going to start with, uh, so I didn't know if you know this, but honeybees are cold blooded, right? I hadn't previously known this before the, before the researching this. Uh, but so then how do they keep their hive warm inside, right? And especially in the winter. I mean, have you ever contemplated that then? Well, do they need to have it warm if they're cold blooded? They do, because it turns out if they get they don't have to drop the. So it, basically, if their 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 body temperature is about 95 degrees Fahrenheit, which is uh, 30 ish, which is about 35 degrees Celsius. Okay. If their body temperature drops below about 95 degrees Fahrenheit or 35 degrees Celsius, they actually lose the ability to fly. And that happens around, if the outside temperature is around 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 degrees Celsius, that's when they'll no longer, like they can't maintain that body temperature anymore to be able to fly. Uh -huh. And then, of course, if it, if it drops cold enough, then they, they actually lose the ability to move at all. And then they're definitely going to die because, you know, they can't move to create any energy whatsoever or any heat energy. All right. So then, so then we come like, how do they, okay, so they need to keep their hive warm. But how do they do this? And it turns out it used to be thought it would just be the, the pupae or whatever, the pupa in there that would keep the whole hive warm. Uh, but it turns out it's recently been discovered. Um, I think it was about a decade ago or ish or two decades ago, somewhere around there, that there's actually a new job that they didn't previously know about that honeybees have, some honeybees have, and it's their heater bees. And so <laughs> it, it's pretty crazy. So they're pretty much bees of all, usually like the bees, they usually divide their jobs by how old they are. So at a certain point, and they'll just switch jobs as they kind of age and they'll kind of move on to other jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, and but it turns out this one can be done by by bees of, of pretty much all ages. And so they do it by either vibrating their abdomen uh, really vigorously or decoupling their wings from their muscles. Right. So they so, so no longer when they use their muscles to like to that would normally flap their wings. Yeah. The wings, the wings won't flap. They'll just, the muscles will just go back and forth. And so then they'll, they basically just vigorously uh, beat these muscles as if they're flying, but they're not going anywhere. They're just sitting there. And it turns out they can heat up their bodies to up to 111 degrees Fahrenheit or 44 degrees Celsius, which is about 16 degrees uh, higher Fahrenheit or 9 degrees Celsius hotter than their normal body temperature. If we're 9 degrees hotter or 16 degrees Fahrenheit hotter than normal, we're, yeah. we're going to die, right? Um... Yeah, you're definitely going to have some pretty quick brain damage. I feel like, what's the record? I feel like the record might be somewhere close to that where someone survived, but it's got to be, because that would be like 113 degrees Fahrenheit, right-ish? Yeah, I mean, uh, which would, I think when I, yeah. you know, when you get sick or whatever, and you got the flu, and it's, oh, you're like one degree or in Celsius, yeah. or whatever it is in Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah, a you few know, degrees. A little bit warmer than normal. You feel yeah. very unpleasant. 
Yeah, no. So they get really hot. Uh, it turns out, and this is this is uh, this is how they keep their hive warm. But not only that, there's this actually gets even more fascinating. Than this because it's not just about keeping their hive warm. So another discovery that came after this, when their researchers are looking at the um, the fact that there are these heater bees, and it kind of reevaluated how a lot of the stuff was going on in the hive. Yeah. So it turns out the queens, some queens, would leave a lot of cells of the brood empty. And this was thought to be an undesirable trait because it's like, why are you leaving all these cells empty? We we could fill them and make more bees and, you know, things like that. And so it turns out that the, the beekeepers would actually target bee, uh, queen bees that did this less. It turns out the temperature that these pupae or whatever are 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 at when they're developing actually makes them more or less inclined to, to switch to certain jobs so, so by controlling the temperature as they're developing, the the bee is so like if they need more bees to do a certain task and or more inclined to do a certain task because they kind of they switch as age go on, but more inclined to make that switch to the thing that the bee that the colony needs more of, what? they will actually the so, bees will crawl in these empty cells and then they'll you know do their thing to warm themselves up and they can uh, around seventy or so cells around this bee can be heated or or you know not to the heated exact in degree. That case. And they they don't know, but they have that biological instinct or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's insane. Yeah, that is so insane. Just the complexity of that. Yeah, well, and to even have the sort of the idea, so some in some it must register on some level that oh, we need more forager bees or whatever, and so we so now you know how we get more forager bees. We heat them up to (laughs) one degree more than normal. Yeah. Exactly. And so this is this is exactly what they do. And so that's what these empty cells are kind of for is to help help sort of uh, regulate that. Um, wow. So, yeah. So for a ex- uh, specific example there. So raising the cell temperature to 95 degrees Fahrenheit or 35 degrees Celsius. Uh, so the normal temperature is about two degrees Fahrenheit less than that or one degrees Celsius less than that. Uh, will actually, it, speaking of the forager bees, it will actually incline them. The, the bees birth from that or whatever you want to call it, uh, end up being more inclined towards foraging jobs over housekeeping ones yeah. and vice versa based on this temperature. So this is just exactly what they're doing. Like if they need more forager bees or ones that clean up around the around the hive, that's that's just what they do. And so they're also using these heater bees to regulate the, the, the temperature inside the hive. Uh, just to keep them ability to fly. And this is particularly important in the winter. So in the winter, they can't just go fly around. It's too cold. They'll just all die as soon as they go fly outside for a while because the temperature is too cold in, you know, in some regions anyway. Um, so how do they, how do they do this? So they know they have, or on some level, they they know they don't, they want to conserve resources. So they don't just want to keep it at their normal temperature of like, uh, you know, 93 degrees or whatever um, that they would normally keep it for all the, you know, things to develop properly. So instead... They all kind of ball at the at the center where, you know, so they got nice insulation of their whole hive outside. Yeah. And so they, they kind of keep at the very center is going to be about 81 degrees Fahrenheit or 27 degrees Celsius. And they just have these, you know, heater bees that are doing the job of, of, of keeping things warm. And so that's on the inside of this sort of where they're all congregated. So then on the outer surgery, outer most regions, it's uh, it's a bit colder, of course. And so how they how they get around this to make sure the outer bees stay good every now and then they'll rotate the bees on the on the outer part to the inner part. And so they can just all, you know, the whole hive staying good. They're not keeping it super warm, you know, not enough to develop new bees or whatever, just enough to just survive and the conserve winter. energy. Yeah. And there's other bees who have the job of making sure these heater bees keep fed. And so they'll actually bring them food as they're going <laughs> and they'll they'll feed them and keep them, you know, keep them going. It's kind of scary, just like this terrifying giant ball of bees with a queen in the center out there in these hives. 
Yeah, once it's time, the queen will start laying, uh, laying again, and that will that will then that sort of triggers for whatever reason they'll bring the the hive temperature back up to ninety three degrees Fahrenheit or thirty five four degrees Celsius, so things develop quite well. God, it's biology's crazy. Do you think? Yeah. It, whenever I hear something like this, it just makes me think of how little we know. If you can change a bee so dramatically by just adjusting its temperature when it's in this larvae state by one degree. Imagine all the crazy stuff that we just don't even, we haven't even come close to understanding. Yeah, wait till we get to ants. Ants are just like, almost like intimidatingly uh, smart in some ways, like not individually, but the whole, like yeah. the how they can react to things and how efficient they are as we'll get into like there's actually they're studied for like computer science and mathematicians study them to find more efficient algorithms and stuff for like and and, because the ants just do a really good job like better than a lot of algorithms that we have for certain tasks and so you just study them see how they how they do stuff and then make an algorithm does the same thing and then uh yeah the tower of hanoi example that puzzle that we have coming up the fact that they could this I'll, i'll shut up and just save for later in the episode but wow yeah I know. It's quite crazy. Um, Sorry. Yeah. Carry on with so, bees. Are we, are we still doing bees? Yeah, we're still doing bees because they, they also, it's found, they use, uh, this one's been known for a while, but uh, they, they also use this heating effect that they can do for a mechanism for defense, not just for regulating temperatures. So like if you get an attacking wasp or something, uh, the bees will actually surround the wasp and you can YouTube this and see videos of it uh, and sort of like this heat ball thing. And so, and they just start you know, doing that thing where they're generating, they all kind of turn into heater bees, basically. And so this also, by how they ball the wasp, it ends up being, uh, gives lack of oxygen for the wasp, because they can't kill the wasp in any other way. Uh, so so this is kind of their way of doing it. So they just kind of all surround them, they're getting really hot, so there's not a lot of oxygen in there for the wasp. And then it also just drastically raises the internal temperature of the ball, and then eventually it'll kill the wasp, hopefully. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, uh, and what's also crazy about this one is, uh, they also use this heat balling technique to kill the queen uh, on occasion. Oh. Like if the queen is no longer doing her job or capable of performing her duties for whatever reason, they, they'll just be like, okay, and then they heat ball her and then it's, it's actually nicknamed the cuddle death where it's just like, <laughs> queenie, you're just going to kill our queen and then they'll install a new queen to, uh, to take her place. This is the one I'd actually seen before. You know, you said about that video on YouTube when you can see them doing this. I'd seen a documentary about this years ago and it's, it's crazy because these, it's not just regular size. The one I saw wasn't just regular size wasps. It was kind of the giant, oh, yeah. the giant hornets are attempting yeah, to attack yeah. the beehive. The bees gather yeah. around the giant hornets and start beating their wings. And you just, these balls, and then I think there was even an infrared camera on the ones I saw. And you just mm-hmm. see it get red and red and darker and dark or deeper and deeper yeah. red or whatever, you know, yeah. like infrared does. And then yeah. the, the wasps die because they, 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 yeah. they can survive just slightly. Uh, yeah. And so do a lot of the bees on the inside as well that are closest. You know, they're kind of sacrificing themselves in the process because they also get overheated and, and die as uh, well. But yeah. when hornets attack, what are you, what yeah. you going to do? That's a, there's re- they don't really have another good defense against some of those. So that's what they do. Hornets are scary. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially, I think it's those, the giant Asian hornet or whatever, I think is the one I saw a video of. And th- th- those things are massive. Yeah. I've oh. seen some of those in real life. Oh, they really? Are, they are beastie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're just more terrifying than they kind of look like scorpionish with their kind of terrifying that would be terrifying to have one fly at you (laughs) especially you know it's going to be really painful it's like i know a bee sting is it really hurts giant that one's gonna be yeah 
Yeah. So another thing I just wanted to mention uh, mm. quickly is a lot of, uh, so like honeybees particularly, um, so you have this reputation, oh, they'll sting and then they die, right? But it turns out that they don't actually die usually when they sting things. So, you know, when they'll sting a human, then their like tail rips off or whatever. Uh, and it's because they have like a barb stinger, but it turns out this doesn't, it's really just fleshy things that they sting that'll have that happen. Like otherwise, if it's they're stinging like an insect or something like that, it'll just, it, they can just keep stinging them many times. It doesn't rip off or anything, but when it's something fleshy, it just kind of gets attached and then it rips their, oh. their backside off. So then they, then they do die. But uh, usually, usually when they're stinging a lot of other things, they don't actually die um, when they sting. So do they know that? Probably not. Right? Yeah. Cause or would they, would they even care? Cause they're kind of hive minded. Oh, yeah. So less. Yeah. I mean, obviously they wouldn't care cause they don't really have that sort of self. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do they have brains? Self, but, like proper brain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get into, we're going to get into honeybees or just bees in general. The way they navigate is stuff that you couldn't do. Like we, we would need like a calculator to do it, but somehow it's built into their brain to be able to do it naturally, almost like a, like a, just like a hardware thing where you put the inputs in and then and they, they do some pretty complex math in their heads and it is in, it is astounding. We're going to get into it. It's, wow. it's mind blowing a little bit. Um, yeah. Is, it a, is it a stupid question to ask if they have brains? Because I know there's like, it's no, a I mean, different, I'm, like some animals just have those neurons or whatever, right? Very simple, some fish or like oysters. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They didn't have brains, yeah. but they. Well, I mean like things. brains in the way we think of a brain, but mm. you know, mm. they clearly have. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're going to get into the, 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 how they navigate and how they communicate that. And it is, it is mind blowing. Uh, the math that they have to do in their head to make it work. Um, have we done, have we done videos about dolphin brains? We done no. I, I did. I read about dolphin brains. Dude, mm -hmm. dolphins are intense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The big thing, because uh, we're supposed to be super smart, right? We're like the smartest animal. At yeah. least probably we'd like to think we are. Um, but then you look at an elephant and it has a giant brain, but it's not as smart yeah. as us because it doesn't have as many neurons. Dolphins, uh -huh. they have a similar sized brain. They have more neurons than us. Well, but what's interesting about humans is if you actually don't teach a human language, we end up being not too dissimilar in sort of apparent intelligence to like monkeys and things. Right. Um, like various, various, it's really when you teach the language like that. That's why I think we covered this or deaf, maybe we haven't on the podcast. Right? Deaf people like, yeah, if you don't teach them a language, this was historically a problem is a certain point their their brain is permanently, you know, it would have otherwise been a perfectly intelligent person but but they need that before like around the age of five ish uh their brain needs it to sort of properly develop and if you don't have it then it doesn't mm -hmm. and it turns out when you do that uh it ends up not being so much more in, in, intelligent than than you know certain apes and things like that um so it, it seems to be the language factor helps our brains develop in a certain way and gives us a, you know the thought process to drive our thought you know you have that, like that voice in your head type of thing sure um they thought deaf people were challenged mentally for a long time right because of yeah because they they didn't really have the ability for abstract thought really and uh even if you taught them a language later it didn't seem to really matter that much that. they still sure. but but if you just taught them it at a young age, then they were they were fine, you know, completely normal. And sign language, of course, works perfectly yeah. fine. You don't doesn't need to be a spoken language um, or anything like that. So, uh, and that was that was part of the problem too. Is once once it was even discovered, it was like trying to force them to do a spoken language, which is not you know that's a lot harder than just doing you know hands and things. And so it was that was actually a problem as well for a little bit. Um, and actually, until quite recently in history. There you go. In any of it, sign language now move. Moving on to vultures. So a long time ago, we mentioned, we started to mention the vultures and then we decided we'd just put it in a different episode. 
Uh, I don't even remember what episode that was, but we briefly alluded to. So this, I didn't this even is that, that episode. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're following up finally. After, you know, it's probably like, you know, 20 episodes later. Uh, so vultures. Why don't vultures get sick when they eat dead things? Uh, right? So they're eating all this random stuff, you know, that's been sometimes rotting there for a while, but they're not getting sick. So what, what's so going I, on there? I always thought this was because I recently read about dogs, not vultures. I always thought mm-hmm. this was because you know, animals, they're just hardier than us. They have more acidic stomachs. But then I was reading that, you know, you see pigeons and they'll be eating like all sorts of weird dead stuff in on, you know, in the street, in the city or whatever. And you it's like, don't, don't eat that. That's not good. But I always assumed they had some sort of, I don't know, better acid in their stomach or mm-hmm. whatever. But then I was also reading, you know, with a lot of these animals, it's just, oh no, they're pretty susceptible to it. It's just they oh, yeah. die way more often than us. We just don't yeah, see their dead bodies everywhere. Yeah. Humans are perfectly fine uh, with eating a lot of raw things. But like you say, most it's like mostly fine. But then like also you got a lot of people that would die of disease and stuff, uh, it turns out. And But vultures are different. Vultures are completely different. And they're, they're basically made to do this. And so a lot of people think of vultures as like a spreader of disease and stuff. So it's like, oh, vultures, you know, and like a lot of societies of vultures are bad luck because they're association with death and disease yeah. and all this. But it turns out vultures are an amazing thing for getting rid of disease just precisely because of a lot of the ways they can eat things without getting sick. And so to is, is they're quite unique in this way. I mean, they can... I mean, they do have a, a really good immune system, but there's also some various other things about them that we're going to do shortly that like allow them to have no problem, you know, eating the bacillus anthracis, which is the cause of anthrax. Oh. They can do uh, like rabies, hog cholera, all these diseases. Oh, man. Don't really. They just process it. No problem. Their body has no problem. You know, botulism, all this. Uh, so how did they do it? Uh, so to begin with, like you were just saying, you, you thought it must be something to do with stomach acid. So that is sort of their first line of defense. Uh, is they have extremely ah. acidic gastric juices. Like, so uh, just for uh, just a quick refresher for people, I'm sure everyone has heard this at some point, but the pH scale goes from zero to 14. I'd appreciate so it. Zero, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zero represents the, the, you know, the most, you know, highly acidic substance. Seven is neutral and 14 is the highly alkaline ones. And so um, human, Al- human stomach stuff also is bad, right? It's harmful no. as well. And if it's something's like 14 alkaline, isn't that dangerous as well? Or is that just... Uh, I don't. I, I don't know not anything about this. Uh, no, I'll. I'll I know I mean, maybe it's bad. <laughs> my my first inclination was to say no, but then I realized I haven't taken chemistry in a long time, so I'm just going <laughs> to stay out of that one. I could be completely wrong on that. I don't actually know. We can follow but, up on yeah. that one. Yeah. Uh, so, human stomach acid, just for sort of a reference. I mean, it depends what you're eating, drinking at any given time, all this sort of stuff. Uh, exactly how acidic things are, uh, but it's usually between about one and three. Uh, on the scale. And so oh, a turkey, turkey vulture, it turns out, is almost zero. And you might think, well, but humans is like one to three. That's not that big of a difference. But but the pH sure. scale is logarithmic. So so it's like every it's like 10 times the value for each one type of thing when you're going below, you know, go below seven. So in the extreme case, you, I mean, you can be talking about a thousand times more acidic than yours for like a, a turkey vulture's stomach acid, um, you know, depending on exactly how acidic it is at a given time when you're depending on what you're eating and drinking. Oh, right. Because sort of three to two, 10 times, two to one, a hundred yeah. times, one to zero. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot more acidic. Yeah. And, and another reference battery acid has a pH of about 0.8. Um, so it's kind of, you know, it, it, they, they're, they're more acidic than that by a good amount. So wow. bacteria, obviously, by a good amount, not, by like eight times. 
Yeah. So bacteria doesn't exactly. So bacteria doesn't uh, survive very well the, this this environment. But if it happens to survive past that, the vultures have amazing immune systems, as you as you might imagine, having you know over time eating if they're eating this stuff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Over time, this is going to breed out the ones who can't handle it and stuff like that. So. Um, one of the strongest immune systems of, of any vertebrate. Um, and so there's almost no foodborne diseases that really pose much of a threat to it. Uh, but so they, there is a point, though, that the vulture will say no uh, to something that's just like too foul to eat. But this also doesn't stop them from getting some nutrients from it, because eventually, eventually, for instance, the bearded vulture can live on a diet of 70 to 90 percent bone. So they can just wait to completely rot away. And all that's left is bone, like maybe years later or whatever. And they can just eat the bone. And at that point, it's going to be, you know, safe to eat and just kind of survive mostly on that. Um, wow. So, so this this brings us around to the uh, so they Steven, nearly like even nutrients in bone. We can. Oh, yeah. It's wow. quite calorie dense, uh, you know, and, you know, calcium and these sorts of things. Uh, it turns out their their bodies, the uh, bearded vulture, for instance, is, is quite adept at just eating bone. I mean, they still need a little bit of other stuff, but, you know, they can survive a bit. So so as we were saying, you know, vultures have this reputation for, you know, disease carrying pests because of, of all this. But this is the exact opposite of the reality because their digestive system. So think about this. You have this maybe this animal that died of diseases, right? It's laying there. It's died of disease. Now, if a dog came along and ate it, it would get diseased or most likely or a rat or mice or whatever. But if the vulture comes along and eats it, that they're and vultures will pick the thing completely clean. As we get into, well, I'll just say it right now. Uh, there was a study done. Uh, it must be one of those like if you donate your body to science uh, things, because they actually did a study to see how how quickly uh, vultures could pick apart a human body and like just res- you know make it so there's all that's left is bone kind of thing. Yeah. And it took thirty vultures. I can't remember what type now. Uh, but uh, thirty vultures to pick it clean in five hours, so all that was left was just bone. Like, and they just all the flesh was gone. Everything just bone was. So you anything, just like, any, like a, a white skeleton. Just, yeah, just this completely clean, picked clean skeleton. What about uh, and, the stuff about, inside? Like everything. Everything is gone. Everything was they. Every little part, the connective tissues, they're gobbling it down. And I, so if you think about this, when I donate my body to science, I'm not sure this is what I want. <laughs> I want my yeah. body to be used to cure cancer or something. <laughs> yeah. Or, so what I are mean, we doing with this body? We're going to see how long it takes a vulture to eat it. Or like we were talking about with the with the sports cars, how they, I mean, the car companies don't, you know, they'll hire the companies to use real bodies real to bodies. test their, their seatbelt systems and airbags and stuff. Uh, Wait, so that's, that's just uh, sport cars? I thought this was all No, cars. it was like all cars and odds are if you donated and you got there, it would be like some really boring SUV or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like it could be, it could be like a Ferrari for all you know. And so you're like, that's kind of fun. Um, do, they crash, way, so, do they crash test super expensive cars? Oh, I mean, they have to. They get I don't think they have stuff. to. I don't think they have to because you can buy it knowing it doesn't have a crash test rating. Oh, can you? I don't, yeah. I don't know in the US if you can. Uh, even like the um, wait. So if you got a four million euro uh, pound dollar Bugatti or whatever, yeah, can I, you, mean, I could be wrong. That's a, that's something that can people can people can ring in on the forum or email us because I don't. I, I, I don't think. I, yeah. Okay. I think in the U.S. at least, I think you have to have certain regulatory things. You have to have certain things just to make a car legal to be on the road. Like it's not like like an aircraft. You can have experimental aircraft that kind of get around a lot of the rules. But I don't think there's something like that in the U.S. Experimental cars. cars. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'll be but maybe curious. there is. I don't know. 
I, I should say, I mean, I'm sure you can do that, but then can you legally take it on a road and get it registered, you know, in your state or whatever? Um, I don't know. Good question. I don't know. Yeah. Follow up. Yeah. Uh, so going back to the vultures and how they, how they're good for stopping disease. So if you have the dogs or the rats or whatever, all these creatures that are, that are sort of spread disease, yeah. if you have them eat it, the thing that died of disease, well, then they're going to spread the disease far and wide. But if the vulture eats it, because they pick it clean so much, they're going to, all that bacteria or whatever, whatever thing, you know, disease, uh, they're going to process it through their bodies and they're, they're dead end hosts, you know, because the, the oh, bacteria goes in, they just, their bodies destroy it. Uh, and so not only this, it gets even better because the vultures, when they're eating, will pee and poop a lot and like on their legs and stuff. And it seems like this is like a <laughs> bad thing, right? It's really nice. disgusting. But they're doing this all around the dead body. And it turns out their pee and poop is extremely acidic. And so what's happening is it's actually killing the bacteria that gets on their legs and stuff like that. And the bacteria around the dead body there, uh, it also kills it. And so this uh, even makes them even more of a dead end host in that way. Uh, so they, if you have a bunch of vultures picking clean this thing, it just like kills off the chance of spreading the disease right there. Um, and so, and you can actually look at this in places where vulture populations are displaced, where they're just kind of wiped out. You see it's almost, it correlates very strongly with the rise of disease that will come from, you know, rats and various things doing it and spreading the disease. We've really got um, it all so, wrong. Yeah. The vultures are super, super handy in this way. So to illustrate this actual fact, India had this exact problem a couple decades ago. Mm. So they saw they very suddenly saw a massive decline in vulture population. So if, for instance, in the 1980s, there was about 80 million white-rumped vultures in India. And now there's only a few thousand. And this happened quite quickly. And so uh, around the turn of the century is when kind of just the massive various types of vulture populations just died off. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you saw an explosion of the feral dogs and rats and stuff. Their populations just exploded because they were competing with the vultures for a lot of basically cow carcasses and stuff. Because uh, you know, in India, uh, they have all these cows that they don't really eat. So it's only about 4% of the nation's um, cows are eaten by humans. The rest just kind of die and then they're, you know. Uh, then they're picked clean by these vultures and on dogs and rats and stuff. And so when the vulture population died out, the feral dog and rats went just skyrocketed because they had, you know, less competition for all the food. Christ, and good so to be this, a feral dog in India. Yeah. And so this became a major problem because now you have all these things that are spreading disease and you have these, these, uh, these dead cow carcasses and things lying around and that's also contaminating the water supplies. And so it's a spread of disease. And so like many thousands of people who wouldn't have died were now dying every year. And so this, obviously there was some research. Why, why is, why are all the vultures dropping dead? Like this is very important because there's a lot of humans dying because of this. Yeah. And so it was determined finally in 2003 by Dr. Lindsay Oaks and her team. Uh, so they looked at it and it turns out is an anti-inflammatory drug called diaclofenac. And it's, uh, it turns out it's extremely toxic to vultures. And what was happening is this is given to livestock very commonly. And it turns out about 10% of livestock in India were getting it. And this very quickly would cause the vulture population to die because they would eat the, eat the dead carcass eventually, and then they would die off. And so then this, uh, by 2006, because of this, the diaclofenac was banned in India. And instead they started using mela meloxicam, I guess, sure. which isn't toxic to vultures. And uh, I don't know, I couldn't find if the vulture populations have sort of re reestablished since then, because it has been like 12 years now. Well, didn't they um, say there are only a few thousand left? Oh, of the one kind, but there's lots of other vultures uh, okay. around. So, right. but yeah, presumably, I mean, when you're talking those numbers, it would take a while for the population to re-explode. But um, if there's a plenty of food source, you presumably it would happen eventually. So hang on, there was enough of this drug. So they feed the drug to the, the farmers feed the drug to the livestock, the anti-inflammatory drug. Then yeah. some of those livestock die. The vultures come and eat them. 
And there's enough uh-huh. of the drug left in their systems to kill these vultures. That's intense. Fair. Apparently. And wow. uh, and when you're talking, they, uh, the, the numbers that they said in the study was about 10% of the cows in India were getting this this anti-inflammatory drug. So that would be, you know, one in 10 uh, very quickly would, would, you know, vultures would encounter that. So yeah, kind of crazy. That's um, so yeah, that almost sounds like conspiracy theory-ish. Like, you know, Alex yeah. Jones and he's the turning the frogs gay, you know, that classic meme. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever, because he's like, you know, we're putting all these things in our animals and they're getting into the thing. I thought that was just nonsense. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, in this case, let's face it, 99% of it absolutely is. Yeah, but every now and then one, yeah. one is correct. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, no. So another interesting thing vultures do, which I just wanted to mention because it uh, dovetails nicely into the mis- mysterious Kentucky meat shower of 1836. Oh, I noticed. I just wanted to talk about, about this. Yeah. A long, like uh, a long this. time ago. Yeah. yeah. I just like that story. So I just thought we should mention vultures when they're approached by a predator, when they're, you know, they're on their ground eating or whatever. Also the fact that it's called the Kentucky meat shower, just immediate, <laughs> yeah. immediately. I'm just thinking of KFC. Uh, yeah. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> this, yeah. The uh, ad slogan or something. Yeah. Just, <laughs> well, it's Kentucky fried chicken, right? Or just like a really bad porn. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Too much. No. So, going back to vultures. <laughs> Set <swiftly>. in Kentucky. <laughs> so, vultures, when the, when a predator will approach, will actually, they'll projectile vomit. Now, it's often said that they'll projectile vomit and just use their, like, highly acidic stomach acid as a weapon against the against the predator but that's not actually what they're doing the, the, it's not that acidic where it's just gonna like melt them or whatever so uh, it's actually it's more of like a distract a distracting thing so the, the predator's coming they'll distract you know the vomit all this meat that they've just freshly you know chewed off so it's kind of distracting for the for the predator hopefully they will uh, ignore the vulture then and then it also lightens the vulture up a little bit so it can fly more easily and it turns out vultures are really good flyers uh I'll, we'll get into that in a second. Can but you imagine to, to that start. sort of, you're out in the woods and you, a bear comes. Quickly, throw up yeah. so I can run faster. <laughs> yeah, and then hopefully the bear will just eat the meat that I just threw up. So, you know, <laughs> it, it works out. So this, this leads us to the, to the mysterious Kentucky meat shower of 1836. Mm-hmm. So on March 3rd, 1876, to 1836 or 1876? Because I have two, I clearly have a typo in one of these. These dates, it's so easy to do. Uh, Kentucky meat shower. 76. So actually on March 3rd, 1876, and apparently I was saying the date wrong before, one Mrs. Crouch, who I could not find her her first name in any of the news reports in Bath County, Kentucky. She was making soap, as you do in 1876. And she looks up and all of a sudden there's just this meat shower just like falling all around her, uh, around her, about a 5,000 square foot area, which, uh, what would that be? Normally, you can just whack a zero off and it's close enough to meters, so like 500 <laughs> yeah, square well, meters-ish. It's not perfectly accurate, but it's about... Uh, yeah, that is about right. Uh, it turns out that's about 460 square meters, so that's that's about right. Yeah, that, that's that's a good trick to know. I it's a good know like, one. This is one of the most <laughs> common conversions I do, because if I'm looking at, uh, you know, house or apartments and stuff like this, to know, because yep. some people do it in square foot, some places mm-hmm. do it in square meters, so... yeah. So it's all, this is all around, there's all this meat and it's ranging just from like tiny to about, you know, two inches or whatever. So about four or five centimeters. Um, so yeah, there's just all over the place and it's like, where did this come from? No obvious source. It's just like a meat shower of some sort. And they even had, uh, so they collected samples, scientists were looking at it and even two guys actually sampled it, uh. ate it to see what it would taste like. 
And it turns out they they reported it tasted like mutton or venison. Uh, so and it, they said it was a bit gamey tasting. And so this is this is what they're going. And so there are various hypotheses were proposed over the years of what exactly happened here. And finally, uh, one Dr. L.D. Kastenbein concluded that the best explanation was actually there was an Ohio farmer who offered the explanation uh, and it was not named in any of the news reports. But uh, it, it was probably just vultures. Right. So and vultures, it turns out this is this is the most amazing part here. Vultures can fly, so the Rupels vulture or Ruppels vulture, whatever you want to say that. Sure. They've they have been observed flying as high as thirty seven thousand feet. That's about eleven thousand meters uh, altitude, which is like that's where your you know your your air, your commercial airplanes that are is, up that there. Is, yeah, slightly above a commercial airplane. Yeah, and so hey, can you imagine you're flying a you know a commercial airliner up there and you like hit one of these or something but they, they have been observed flying that high and wow. for further further reference for people mount everest is about a little over 20 29,000 feet high so that's well over mount everest's peak the, the crazy thing about that mount everest is super high it is and the, these, you don't realize these... it's as high almost as a commercial jet flies and when you look down at the sea from those planes yeah it's yeah. really far down and then you wonder like what why would was the Rupel's vulture flying that high? Like, what possible reason to? I mean, I, I understand like to fly over maybe high mountains and stuff to be able to do that, but like that high, like there's no mountain. It's also for, like well, minus fifty degrees outside. Yeah, it's super cold, and they they. Um, but it's been observed. Um, obviously, they're probably not commonly flying that high, but they have been seen to fly that high. So vultures are really good flyers. The point being, uh, I mean, obviously it depends on the speed, the, the type, and everything like that, but. In either way, so it was kind of the farmer was basically like, yeah, there's probably just flying too high to see. They were up there and then they probably just for whatever reason, one of them got startled or whatever and then vomited. And then what what actually happens with these different vultures is when they see one of them will vomit, the rest of them will vomit and they'll all take off sort of like, a you know, like if one deer gets spooked, then the rest get spooked and they all run off type of thing. Uh, so it's thought there must be a bunch of them. One of them must have got spooked where they're flying around and then just, you know, vomited. And then, of course, the wind kind of scatters it as it's falling. And that that was probably what happened. And there is actually the turkey vulture and the black vulture are in that region of Kentucky. And so it's probably uh, that was kind of what most likely caused that meat shower. I don't feel the good best guess. having eaten that then because yeah. it probably came from some rotting animal corpse. It was yeah. then sitting inside a buzzard's stomach for a, yeah. a good amount of time. A buzzard? Vultures. Vulture. Is buzzard something? Is buzzard a vulture? Why am I getting confused? See, this is that? one of those many things that I would instantly then Google because I would say the same thing. Is a buzzard a vulture? <laughs> it's probably not, but... Uh, when someone refers to a buzzer, it means a turkey vulture in the US. Huh. Wait, just in uh, the US? So why do I even know buzzard? <laughs> well, I don't know. This is just what uh, animals.mom.me... <laughs> Difference between buzzards and vultures, so I don't know if we should take that as 100%. Oh, wait, the Wikipedia page, like one of the top things to come up is the turkey buzzard or turkey vulture. Okay. I don't know, in the US, I guess, I guess so. I don't know, in Europe, maybe it has a different definition. And I don't know why, having just talked about them for 20 minutes, I decided to use a different word for them. Um, wait, buzzard on Britannica.com? Uh, several birds of prey of the genus Buteo and in North America, various New World vultures especially the turkey vulture. So apparently it could be other birds of prey as well. There you go. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd feel bad about it. Oh, yeah, like the, uh, the hawk. There are certain hawks. They're also buzzards. Apparently. They're in the genus Buteo. How exciting. There you go. Any other facts this episode? 
Not this one, but uh, this I guess one. we have the ants coming up in the next episode and the cool thing about honeys, honeybees, and how they how they do math in their head. Really, really complex math all in their head. Uh, so that's coming up next episode. Going to be great. So that could be real soon by the time you're listening to this one. Um, yeah. Stay tuned for Probably that. the next day. <laughs> I see we have feedback, uh, a follow-up. Do horses uh-huh. sleep standing up? Uh, I didn't look into this. Did you look into this? Yeah, are you looking into this right now? <laughs> Why, well, yes, I did, Simon. <laughs> I was too busy trying to get this live stream thing set up, which hopefully I imagine we'll be doing next month now, but it'll be good. This is like a long-winded answer. <laughs> we, can, we can leave it. Let's leave it for another episode. <laughs> Let's leave it for another episode. Probably not the next episode either, because we're about to jump right into recording that through the magic yeah. of radio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, should we hit a couple of reviews and then call it a day? Yeah, sounds good. Cool. Thank you to Sideswipe 69er. This show is entirely the reason I started listening to podcasts. I can never wait for the next one to come out, and I think both of you have great chemistry and are compelling to listen to. However, if Simon does not watch The Princess Bride within the next month, I will update this to a one-star review. <laughs> you we should be like a... Uh, you know how they do those stu- really stupid, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a fundraising thing, uh, or you know how they do those really stupid um, React videos that are awful and I don't know they're super popular though. <laughs> we should do it. I feel like they were more popular Simon, a couple of years ago, weren't they? Like where people just sit and watch something and then talk about it. Oh, there's, there's still I still see them sometimes where they'll have someone uh, watch a certain movie. And actually, The Princess Bride was one I saw. It came up on my um, YouTube recommendation where someone I don't know it did really well. It got several million views. So it must have been someone. YouTube famous or something watching The Princess Bride and because they also had not seen it and they were an adult and they loved it. Um, okay. So, Maybe I can do yeah. this. Maybe I will live stream yeah. my watching of The Princess Bride. <laughs> and then as long as I have a beer a... with it or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe, wait, and they cut it down. Yeah, they cut it down to like a five minute video and then their afterthoughts where they, where they gave their thoughts on the video. It was a, it was a lady, I can't remember. I don't really remember, but okay. must clearly this must have been someone reasonably. This a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, maybe Princess Bride live stream. Maybe not. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of and work then, if I got to slice it up into different things and all of that, which... Uh, give, your, give your thoughts on it. Yeah. Okay. Could be a special. Could I just read some reviews and, and just pretend that I... <laughs> yeah. I got to see this. Um, should we call it a day there and, uh, yeah. and, and crack on? Sounds good. All right. Nice to talk to you and talk to you real soon in about 30 seconds. mind-blowing.